young men who were just standing before us were going to be standing on the stage and sharing these kind of stories and journeys, I would have said, absolutely, absolutely. I believed in these guys 15, 20 years ago. And let me just kind of just quickly do an introduction. This year for me is a year of reflection. Um, let me explain. Um, for those who have achieved certain milestones in life, the older you get in life, the more you appreciate, um, I guess, some of the journey uh, that you've been on and how you've gotten there and uh, giving all thanks to God. And this year has been a year of reflection for me personally. Karen and I, it'll be January 10, 2018, next year, uh, got married uh, 20 years ago, 1998, on uh, January 10. And then two weeks later, we, we started on staff here uh, 20 years ago. And I've been reflecting um, on the goodness of God in and through this last 20 years. And you know what I reflect on? I reflect on stories like these two young men who stood before us here this morning. Um, I reflect on stories like Oliver Mensah, who stood up here last night to lead the church combined nights. I reflect on these young guys. They're around and about. I know they were here. Oh, they're probably out in, uh, uh, oh, there they are. There's some of them here tonight. There's a, there's, a, there's a revival going on in our young men's. These, these young men were up here last night, the first young men up here last night, lifting hands to God. And at a 5 p.m. service, they're the, they're the first up the front lifting their hands to God. And so that's what I'm reflecting on. That's what I get to be a part of, to use my gifts. And maybe that is for you as well as you reflect on what maybe your milestone is. But reflecting, you know, I've been talking about that. And um, I just want to go back to Ben and Clifton just for a moment. Oh, Jesus, some stories I could tell. And I'm going to tell them. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, first of all, I mean, you know, um, uh, we, won't, we won't mention Ben's baptism, but uh, <laughs> it was a time to remember back in Frederick Street, so we can move on from that. But the Ben and Barry show. I'll never forget the Ben and Barry show. And uh, this is part of our youth ministry back in the day. And Ben and Barry used to do weird, creative things and used to dress up. And in fact, at our opening 14 years ago here, Ben, I think you grew your hair. And on the night, did you cut it all off? Or you cut it into the shape of a, in the shape of a mullet. This is the kind of stuff that I had to put up with back in the day. And uh, were you part of that roadkill camp that we, uh, the camp that, uh, oh, was that, that was, okay, that was Clifton, uh, that we had to, anyway, we won't go there. I'll keep moving on. This is kind of the stuff, all right? This is, I'm reflecting on this, all right? <laughs> Clifton, Clifton. Um, uh, oh, yeah, one night we were walking around the gorge as part of our youth night. It's 15, 16 years ago, walking around the gorge. And I remember coming back. I'll never forget this, because you know some of the words get spoken over your life. You just, you forgive, but you don't forget, right? And Clifton came up to me, and we went for a walk. And what do you wear when you walk? You generally wear stuff that's comfortable. And apparently the tracksuit bottoms that I was wearing weren't that cool. And so he kind of said, you know, what are you wearing that for? Looks daggy, you know. It was just, you know, it was just a great comment. Thanks, Clifton. And of course, Clifton, he doesn't take offense at anything. Try to offend that guy. He just takes, doesn't take an offense. Now, speaking of tracksuits, we went down to St. Helens. You lived, in, you lived in St. Helens, and I went down for a couple of days, and you had this pink and green tracksuit. And we dressed up together in tracksuits. What's that? <laughs> did you? I did, did I? I wore the pink tracksuit. Let's move on. Let's move on. 
Anyway, um, another thing, another thing at youth one night, uh, this is what happened, young guys, this is what happened, this is what we got up to at youth, um, um, was, uh, oh, that's right, we had a police officer come along, didn't we? We had a police officer come along, and he kind of put, he was showing us all these tools, and you remember that, Adam? Yeah, you remember that? And uh, he was showing us all these tools and his guns and got the capsicum spray out, and he said, who, who would like to have a, have a trial of what capsicum spray feels like? <laughs> Guess who from India puts his hand up and <laughs> and he did for the rest of the night. It was oh, 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 oh dear. It's the kind of stuff I have to put up with. <laughs> but this is the kind of stuff I'm reflecting on as also. And I guess as we get a little bit serious, I mean, you know, it's incredible to see these young guys do what they do. And Ben has just finished finally his Masters of Arts degree in Christian leadership. And uh, that's his third degree, by the way, music degree, uh, theological degree, and the Masters of Arts Leadership, uh, Christian Lead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in leadership, which is fantastic. So congratulate. And he'll be graduating in Sydney in April next year. Um, Adam, by the way, Adam's on our staff here at Door of Hope in our after-school hours care program. And he's also just recently graduated with not one diploma, but two diplomas in child study. So congratulations, Adam. All right. I think that's all. I think so. Anyone else graduating in the next couple of weeks, by the way? Can we just celebrate? Put your hand up nice and high, nice and high. If you're graduating, yeah, fantastic, fantastic. So with Clifford and Ben, we have, we have I, call them, I, call, I call Ben now because I call him Master. Uh, in Master's Master. You know, master I call Clifton, he's Reverend, right? Reverend, Reverend Clifton. <laughs> and master. Okay. Well, 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, and I stand in this as well. 1 Corinthians 27 says, um, uh, uh, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, right? <laughs> so uh, that is such a testament, honestly. You agree with that, Wayne? Yeah, Wayne's fantastic. All right. Let me pray. We better pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this time of uh, reflection, of giving you thanks for the past, uh, the present, and the future. Lord, right now, would you take every word that I have and bring yourself glory? Open the uh, eyes, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts right now for your word to speak to us. We're thankful we get this next few moments to, to open your word. It's powerful, it's effective, it will not return void, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can start the clock now, no, just joking. Okay, um, <laughs> he, uh, as, as I said, I've been reflecting, and this last week, and this last couple of weeks, with this message, which I'll introduce just in a moment, um, I could not get this song out of my head. I think we're going to play it if that's all right. And I'll just stay up here. We might not play the whole thing. I'm sure you remember, this song was written in 1967. It was meant to go to Tony Bennett. Any Tony Bennett fans? I'm a big Tony. Okay, jazz. Okay, um, Tony Bennett. But it went to Louis B. Armstrong. Check this out. Can we put it up? I see trees of green. I see them blue. Sing it. For me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Cool. We, we might stop it there. Would you love to hear that? So I know it goes for a couple of minutes, but I, I've run out of time with my intro. Um, hey, uh, and I've been thinking about this, this, this message and 
this idea of what a wonderful world we live in. The, the, the lyrics go like this, a little bit like this, that the trees are green, there are red roses, the skies are blue. I don't know about you, but this time of year, I love to come out of my house the first thing in the morning, and on a beautiful morning like this, and just go, anyone else? Or is that just me? <laughs> and just, it's just beautiful smells and the sights. Anyway, the, the lyrics continue go, and goes, goes like this. Skies of blue, clouds of white, colors of the rainbow, faces of the people, um, friends shaking hands, babies crying. I was on a plane the other day. I've been into a national meeting in uh, Queensland this week and there was a baby crying. I don't mind babies crying on planes, right? I don't mind. I think it's awesome. I just love children. And this song mentions babies crying. That's what got me thinking about it, I think. And, um, and it kind of sums up as what a wonderful world. And it is. And this letter that we're talking about in part nine of uh, Paul's letter to Timothy he doesn't deny the world in which we live is wonderful, but it comes with a warning. And that's what we're going to open up here this morning. And the thing about studying a book of the Bible is that you don't get to pick and choose the verses. You have to actually sit under the words that come out of this text, pretty much word by word we've been doing these four chapters of 2 Timothy. And to be honest with you this morning, I would have been more than happy more than happy, which you'll experience just in a moment, what I'm going to bring for you on this chart. I would have been more than happy to have skipped a few of these verses here this morning. But I guess as a way of introducing us to this this morning, um, is that as we flip the newspapers and the news and social media and we find what's happening in our world, I think it'd be reasonable for each of us to ask certain questions, wouldn't it? You know, how do we make sense of what's going on in this wonderful world of ours? How are we to respond to certain things that go on in our world? How are we to respond to evil? You could be, you know, excused for saying, well, is evil winning? Is evil winning? Has God taken a nap? Is he, has he fallen to sleep on the job? Didn't Jesus defeat evil? And why is the world in such a terrible place? It's a wonderful world. But it comes with a warning here this morning from Paul. And I guess without this framework, this biblical framework, we can't understand actually why this, these kind of things take place in this wonderful world in which we live. And so to help answer some of these questions here this morning, we're going to go to this passage in 2 Timothy. We're in chapter 3. Believe it or not, we're in chapter 3. And kind of answer the question, well, what is our appropriate response? What is our appropriate response for those who follow Jesus to this deal of evil in our world? And I'm going to bring four marks, four marks that Paul, in fact, Paul brings to our attention. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, you ready to go? goes like this. Verse 1, chapter 3 says, but mark this, he says to Timothy, but mark this, there will be what? Terrible times in the last days. Well, thank you, Paul. Thanks so much for that, Paul. I receive that. There will be terrible times in the last days. Terrible times, difficult times, dangerous times in these last days. Now, for many of us, last days, for many of us, depending on how we grew up, depending on what we've been reading, depending on the movies that we've been watching, these kind of understanding of last days can get 
interesting, real, real quick in fact, you know, the idea of Armageddon and rapture and being left behind and those kind of things. I don't think this is what Paul was intending. In fact, I think what Paul was referring to, this phrase, last days, is actually common throughout Scripture. And it actually means this, a set of time. The last days means a set of time, which means a space of days. I'll explain that just to you in a moment. Maybe I could explain it just with a little story. You look at the life of Jesus, and the life that Jesus lived, he lived a compelling life. He told people about the kingdom of God. He told people how to live. He told people how to love. He told us what God was like, that his message, in fact, led him to death, where he hung upon the cross. You might remember the scene where the clouds covered the sky and the earth shakes and the soldiers kind of look up and they kind of say to themselves, what on earth have we done here? And of course, Jesus, the resurrection, which the day of evil was defeated. But here's the truth. Evil was defeated, but it was not destroyed. Evil was defeated, but it was not destroyed destroyed. And so, because of that, we live in this gap of last days where we are waiting for Christ's return. Maybe, I pre-prepared this, maybe if I could explain it like this. Do you understand this? (laughs) Christ's death and resurrection until Christ returns. Christ's death and resurrection until Christ returns. And here's where we live. We live in this gap. And that's what Paul is trying to paint um, this picture to Timothy. Paul is saying, in these last days, there will be difficult times. And what Paul wants us to understand, I think the first thing is this. He's saying that don't be surprised about evil. Don't be surprised, Timothy, about evil. Yes, be sad, <laughs> be um, brokenhearted, um, come to God with prayers and cry out to him, but don't be surprised that evil is on the prowl in which the world, in which the world we live. As Paul is writing, you might remember he's writing from a prison cell. He finds himself 800 miles away from Timothy. And he's being um, tortured at this particular time. He's experiencing those kind of things in a very dark, dingy, um, evil kind of place that he finds himself in. And he certainly knows what's happening in Rome at this particular time, who's growing in power, where the emperors of the day uh, like to put Christians on parade and, in fact, kill them. (laughs) And so he's, he's writing from this in the back of his mind. But he's also saying, Timothy, don't be surprised by these things. And the kingdom of God, of course, that that Jesus spoke about is both now, but not fully yet. It is now, but it's not fully here. It's here, but it's not fully here. And of course, we see examples of this even today. People are being healed. Uh, The miraculous signs that are happening even amongst us here. People being baptized, we've had a few of those this year already, which is great. People being set free and being transformed. We're seeing this, that it's both now, but it's not fully here yet. We also see that, the sense of war in this wonderful world. 
We see pain, we see terror, we see famine, we see disease. And the truth is, this is where we live. We live in between times. We live between Christ's death and resurrection and Christ's return. In Star Wars language, there's the good side and also the dark side. By the way, the Bible did not get its theology from Star Wars. It was the other way around. (laughs) And so they're both evident. They're both evident until Christ fully returns. And when you see evil, yes, Paul is saying, be sad, grieve, make sure something takes place in your life. But he says, don't be surprised about this. Don't be surprised. Then we kind of move on into the passage of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says, he kind of, well, what kind of evil are we to see take place in the world in which we live. And he lists 18 characteristics, and I pre-warn you about this. This is pretty heavy, all right? Let's go. Chapter 3, verse 2 to 4 says this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, which means traitor, uh, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Paul is saying, I guarantee you that in these last days, you will see These kind of things, it will look like these kind of verses, whether we turn the news on at nighttime, we open social media, we look at the local newspaper on a daily basis. These are the kind of things we're going to see. Now, I've put these things up here on the list. Hope you can see it. We get a good camera angle of this. Once again, it's on your your smartphones if you've got those there in your Bibles. But I I, want to bring this list before us. I want us to have a look at this. Can we get a close-up of this list, um, please? Just a close-up of that list for a moment. That'd be good. Just have a moment in reflecting on this list that Paul brings before us. You might see what this begins with. His list begins with what? Lovers of themselves. Do, we don't see much of that, do we? In Instagram... Social media and things like that. We don't see much of that, do we? (laughs) The first thing he starts off with, the greatest commandment is to what? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. So does our world, this wonderful world, and it is a wonderful world, comes with a warning. (laughs) Does our world, is our world a lover of God? Or as Paul's saying, you'll find them to be lovers of God themselves. I mean, you look down through this whole list and you could pick out a few things which I might just do here um, just for a moment. Slanderous. The word slanderous is on there. Slanderous. It's interesting if you look into this word a little bit deeper. The Greek word for this actually means little devil. Little devil. Which means you actually take the Imago Dei, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, the Latin Imago Dei, image of God, You take that out of somebody else. When you're being slanderous, you're taking that out of somebody else's life. That's what slanderous means. Paul's saying, don't be surprised by these things. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We're shutting down the imago day in people's lives. The word brutal, I think, is on there somewhere, isn't it? Brutal. Up here. Brutal. Is the world in which we live brutal? Some of the things you and I see 
It's extremely brutal. And uh, I don't know if you see what I see, but I see no sense of emotion. It's carried with some of these brutal acts. No sense of emotion whatsoever. It can be quite ugly. Um, Where's the other one? Uh, Have you got that one there? Um, Lovers of pleasure. Lovers of pleasure. That's not the world in which we live, is it? (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's all about the experience. I can't get enough. I want to get more. That's what Paul is saying. Don't be surprised by these things. These these things are coming our way, and this is the world in which we will be living. But wasn't evil defeated? Yes, it was, but it was not destroyed. And that's the land between in which we live until Christ returns. I I was watching... um, uh, the TV a couple of Sundays ago, and it was on, uh, I think it was ABC or whatever it was, SBS, was a women's soccer match. I won't tell you the two countries who were playing against each other. Some of you may have been watching that game with yourselves. And I could not believe, I could not believe what I was watching. At the end of the game, one team won, one team lost. One team lost really, really bad. I mean, so bad that the women who won to go up and shake their hands, the losing team did not go and shake their hands. Now, whenever you and I see those kind of things, does that do something? Is that just me? That's pretty bad sportsmanship, isn't it? So here's the deal. Where I'm coming from with that is that Satan, our spiritual enemy, doesn't know how to lose well. And that's what we are seeing in these last days. But this is his last stand. He is a sore loser, and Paul is saying it will get worse before it gets better. So my question is this, what is our appropriate response to evil? What's our appropriate response to evil? You know what Paul starts with? He says, remember these two names. I don't know about you, I've never heard these two names until I started to do a little little bit of study in this. And if you look at Jewish literature, these two names are revealed and, and show you a little bit about these two characters. It's interesting. This is fascinating. Second Timothy, can you, believe, can you believe that? It says this, just as Janus, double N-E-S, as Jom and Jombres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. He's not sit, setting these guys up in a good light at all. What's he trying to do with these two guys? Janus and Jambres. But they will, will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. My question to us here this morning is who is Janus and Jambres? Who are these two guys? I think this is fascinating. If you've had the time to study this, I encourage you to do that during the week because this is the only time these two guys are mentioned throughout entire scripture by name. You want to know? Well, you kind of revealed it if you took notice of the first verse. By the way, if you're interested, Janus, double N-E-S, means rebel, and Jombres means poser or counterfeit. And so these two men, we may have figured out, These two men actually stood beside Pharaoh as the magicians. Some of you may not be familiar with this story, and unfortunately I don't have time to go into that, but Exodus chapter 7, do some homework this week and find out about what happened to the people in that day in Exodus chapter 7. But long story cut short, this is when Moses and when Aaron came to Pharaoh and God says, let my people go so they can worship me. 
Let my people go. And Moses drops the staff and it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh says, well, my men can do that as well. And what do they do? Three times they matched Moses and Aaron. You might remember the story with a snake. Yes, snake. Blood in the Nile, blood. Frogs. And it makes you wonder that the evil certainly has power in this world. If they were able to do that, and of course it still exists today. But the fourth plague, the fourth plague, they couldn't do what Moses and Aaron set out to do. They couldn't do this fourth plague, Exodus chapter 7. And their reply, Janus and Jambres, was that this must be, this must be the finger, this must be the hand of God. That was their reply, that they could not repeat what they had done. And so Paul is trying to let us know here that evil, evil is for a season and it will rise up. But here's what I want you to know, that the truth will always be revealed. The truth will always be revealed. Have you ever asked, uh, maybe it's somebody you know of, or maybe it's you know, somebody maybe work alongside. When there's certain character and they're getting promotions and they're getting pay rises and they're getting this and they're getting that and you're watching on from a distance and you know there's something going on that doesn't match up. It's interesting what's happening in Hollywood at the moment. The truth will always be revealed. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be in a week's time. It may not be next month, it may not be next year, it may not be until the person's past. But Paul is saying the truth will always be revealed. So he's saying evil will not have the last word. Don't be surprised by evil. The truth will come out. And 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 to 12 says, You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, we love this, we're going to celebrate, we're going to get up on chairs in a moment, get ready for this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. I didn't sign up for that one. I I signed up for eternity. I signed up for God, my Father in heaven. I signed up for person. I signed up for. I can't say the word. (laughs) I'm asking you the question this morning is that what you signed up for? Hmm. Are you ready for it? What does persecution look like? I had a breakfast chat with my wife this morning because once again I've been reflecting on this persecution and suffering and our prayer time this morning is interesting. What's persecution? You'd probably think, well, persecution is when you're martyred for something. Yeah. It's not all of it though. You've been bullied because of what you believe? That's persecution. It goes too far. Bullying. That's persecution. It's coming. It's happening. It's happening. I had someone testify this morning. They've, they've experienced this. But is that what we signed up for? Persecution. We don't really like that one, do we? <laughs> it's kind of like what Paul is saying to Timothy. It's like when mum used to say, I don't care how all those other kids act. This is how you are going to behave. You know better. And so Paul is, I've got a, this other chart here. I've written these up. So he goes through this list. This is on um, verse 10, I think it is. 
These are the things that Paul highlights. And Paul, being brought up in the rabbinic system, he builds here. He builds. If you look through the words, he builds. He builds. He understands what's going here. So Paul is telling Timothy, you've heard what I've said through my teaching. I have taught. You've been there. You've heard my teaching. He goes on and he starts to talk about the conduct of his life when it comes to my way of life. That's what he's referring to here. His mental conduct, his spiritual conduct, his emotional conduct, his physical conduct. This holistic way of life, Paul is saying oriented around Jesus and he's saying, you know my purpose? You know my purpose. My, my aim and my, my, my life, what I'm bringing my focus to is the good news. And he talks about his faith. It's gonna take faith to step out and to trust God with his gifts. And about patience. It's gonna take patience in these last days. These last days require patience. What's patience? Patience is that those who surrender control. We surrender control. We're not patient when we try to take control. And Paul says, well, here I am in prison. You've got to have that patience. Love. It's the next one. Love. He's saying, you've seen me. What's come my way? I'm not fighting back with stones. I'm not fighting back with words. Here I am in prison. I'm not going to do that. But I will endure. I will endure. And as I endure, even if that means persecution and sufferings, and that's what he's speaking out of here. He builds. This list builds because he understands that on top of one another. And I show you this list for a reason. I show you this list for a reason because what Paul is trying to say to Timothy here is that I'm going to be your example. I need you to follow my example. Don't be surprised by evil. Truth will always be revealed. And the third thing, how we can handle evil in these days in which we live, is that we must follow an example. My question to you as we started this series nine weeks ago, who is your example? Paul's saying, follow my example, Timothy. As I follow Christ's example, who was persecuted, who was put up on a cross for you and for me. <laughs> Who's your example? Persecution, just for a moment, if I could speak about that just for a moment. For many of us, we really don't know what it means to be persecuted. Some do. I acknowledge that for sure. Um, here Paul is locked up in a prison cell, but the gospel itself was not locked up. And I guess my point in saying that is this, that political, cultural, and physical opposition to the gospel does not hinder the gospel. There's going to be a certain announcement made this Wednesday across our country. And I'm going to quote a leading theologian in Australia that I have a lot of respect for in regards to this idea of persecution and Christians. And it's Dr. John Dixon. He's a theologian, PhD in ancient history. And it should be there on the screen. Can we put that up on the screen, please? Is that okay? Here it is. Okay. I'm going to read this. This is what he says. He says, There's something about knowing you are in a minority in an opposing empire that inspires evangelism. It moves you out of admonition mode into mission mode. There are Christians in Australia who want to reclaim some resemblance of a Christian nation, whatever that is. They want Christian laws legislated. They want more respect from society because they are the church after all. They want privileges other religions don't enjoy. And their stance towards the world is admonition, 
rather than mission. By this, I mean the way they think about and talk about to the world as if they are disobedient brothers and sisters in Christ instead of lost people. It kills our mission to Australia because what it means is we are less willing to take hits for Jesus because we go into how dare you mode instead of what a great privilege to share in the suffering of Jesus. It means we are arrogant It means we pin our hopes on cultural and legislative outcomes mode. Sorry, legislative outcomes instead of gospel outcomes. Admonition mode instead of mission mode. I know there are Christians who are more interested in reclaiming a Christian Australia than reaching unchurched Australia. And it will kill our mission. Because you won't be humble in public. You won't be willing to take hits for Jesus without saying, how dare you? You'll throw resources for cultural advances that aren't necessarily gospel advances. Cultural opposition to the gospel does not hinder the gospel. Take it on the chin. Hmm. Hmm. It's worth thinking about, I think. It's worth thinking about. So my question to you this morning is this. Is your stance toward the unbelieving world one of admonition... Or mission. Let me finish up by saying just a couple of things if we come around communion. <clears throat> Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, lived passionately for the gospel to be shared. And he preached that. He wanted to preach in Rome. He found himself in prison in Rome. Life is too short. The mission is too important. And the forces against us are too large to be conflicting and competitive. And Paul lived like that. And he called Timothy to live like that. That we must not be surprised because the truth will always be revealed. And we must, not, we must follow great examples. And the last mark of how we must respond to evil, and I'm done. And it's this, I mentioned Paul and those three cities in which he went in, 35,000 people sometimes, 35,000 people would show up. He'd move from city to city and preach the good news and the people would respond to the good news because it was good, it was forgiving, it was loving, it was caring, it was persecuting, it was suffering. Here he finds himself outside one of those cities being dragged by his body outside the city gates left for dead and they think that he's dead and they brush their hands off and those followers were about to mourn his death and ask why why out of all that he's done from city to city bringing hope to the world they ask the question why anyway Paul opens his eyes doesn't he he gets up he says let's get back to the city we got more work to do He gets up and he gets on with it. He doesn't say once that we get me with a sword. Get me those stones. Rally up the troops. We're going after those religious leaders. And here's why. Because he wrote it himself in Romans chapter 12, verse 21. He says, do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with what? With good. With good what? With good actions with good social media posts, with good love, 
with good prayers. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil. Say it with me. With good, with good, with good. We don't need to get the stones out. We don't need to play by evil's rules. We will not be overcome by evil because as Jesus followers, we will overcome evil with good. And when we do this, and only when we do this, the world will take notice. How do we respond to evil? We cannot be surprised because the truth will always be revealed and we will follow the example of Jesus and of Paul and we mustn't play by evil's rules. We must overcome evil with good. Let me pray. You're a good, good father. And as a church, we bow in prayer once again here this morning and we say, we declare, we need you. We are thankful for your love. We're thankful for your word and what it reveals and shows to us. We're thankful for Paul's teaching here this morning. You've been the one who's taught us here this morning and reminded as we go into communion here right now that the kingdom of God is both now and not fully yet. That we're in, we're in between and we find ourselves there and we're not going to hide and we're not going to join with evil. We're going to follow Jesus the whole way. We're going to follow their example, Paul and Jesus' example and not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good prayers, good stories, good actions, and good news. For the cross has the final word. In a moment, the team are going to come and going to pass out uh, the bread biscuit and the juice. And we're going to remember, we're going to be reminded once again and give thanks for the greatest sacrifice of them all the one that happened upon a cross. And as we take the bread biscuit, we're reminded of the body of Jesus that was broken and beaten for us so we could walk in healing and wholeness and courage. It also reminds us that we are broken and we need grace as well. We take the cup, we take that juice, and it's not just juice. It's a reminder that Jesus shed his blood once and for all so we don't have to walk in shame and we don't have to walk in condemnation that we can walk confidently in His forgiveness and His grace and in His mercy. You're a good, good Father and we're thankful that we get a chance now to remember you. In Jesus' name we pray these things and all God's people said, amen and amen. Please, team, please come and serve the people. Thank you.